0: Welcome to Inclusion Matters, produced by the Center for Inclusive Child Care. aka the CICC. We're located at inclusivechildcare.org. Welcome to Inclusion Matters, a podcast of the Center for Inclusive Childcare. I'm Cindy Croft, Director of the Center, and I'm here again with my colleague, Priscilla Weigel. Welcome, Priscilla. Thanks. Great to be here. And we're doing uh, another podcast, our continuation of uh, podcasts on learning disabilities and ADHD, with uh, two guests from Learning Disabil- the Learning Disabilities Association of Minnesota. We have the Executive Director, Martha Moriarty. Welcome, Martha.
1: Thanks for having us
0: and Mary Beth Kelly, the program developer. Thank you. So we're so excited to have both of you again in this podcast. We
2: are, and we were um, grateful to Martha in our last podcast to give us an overview of your organization and the great work that you've been doing for many years in the community. And now for this podcast, we're really going to kind of start to look at specifically, what is a learning disability? And how does one move toward that diagnosis? Is it something that can be diagnosed in young children, or when does that happen, how does it happen, kind of that whole process, just an overview of that, and so Mary Beth and
3: Martha, we're going to kind of hand it over to you and we'll chime in with questions as we go. All right, thanks. 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 Um, So, diagnosing a learning disability, I would say, is a little bit challenging, particularly in younger children. Um, Part of the confusion also is there's a medical model and there's also an educational model, And sometimes that's very confusing for families because they don't know, they don't necessarily overlap, nor are they the same. Hmm. Um, The biggest challenge, I think, in regard to younger children, is that typically most, um, in most places that you're gonna go is gonna look at what they call a discrepancy model. So they're looking at the child's IQ score, and then they're looking at how they perform academically on standardized tests. Um, So if you have a child that has Lots of our kids that have learning disabilities generally have average IQ, so they have that average range, but they're performing below where we would expect them to be within okay. that average. The difficulty, as I mentioned, with young children is they aren't doing that academic piece yet. Right. So you kind of have to wait till they're starting to learn how to read, learning how to write, learning how to do that math. Um, so. Some school districts, it's pretty often that in, people will wait till maybe second and third grade to begin kind of looking at that just because the challenge is so difficult to find out where they're actually performing because they're still young and they're still learning skills. Right, and right. we know that not everybody learns at the same rate, mm-hmm. nor do they um, take in all the same information at the same time. Yeah. So all of those factors kind of make it a little bit challenging. Uh, Generally, when families call here and they ask us, we really recommend that they work with their local school system first. Mm -hmm. Um, The school system technically can do most of the same testing that we do, and they do it for free if they, in fact, feel like a child is struggling in school. That's the other piece that's a struggle, is how do you define struggling in school? What does that mean? Um, And so for some parents, they see that their student is earning B's and they really feel like they should be earning A's, that's not really struggling from a school's perspective. They're gonna say, well the school the child's doing okay. Yeah. So generally speaking the school looks at grades, they look at testing performance, they look like they look there's a new big push for doing interventions within the classroom and then seeing how the child responds to those interventions, so they'll also, um, it's pretty common that they're collecting data on how that child is progressing, not only compared to their peers, but how are they also progressing compared to themselves. So are they making the kind of rate of progress that we think a typical first grader or second grader would be making?
0: Okay. Mary Beth, what would be generally the age at which uh, we, we would be finding learning disabilities in young children in our systems?
3: I would say most of the time, most places that I know of recommend starting at third grade. So at third grade is when you can kind of start to really start to see, is there a true discrepancy? And sometimes, the other challenge again, is that sometimes it won't even show up in the elementary years, but it might show up later on when they get to middle school. Because Mm -hmm. as you know, when you get into the greater, the higher grade levels, the level, the expectation level increases. So not only are they expected more, but the topics also get more challenging and more difficult. So sometimes a learning disability might not show up until middle school or even high school, and sometimes even college, if they were a student who was just struggling all through school. But again, the college level, the expectations really rise. They aren't in their home environment. There might not be that structure Provided mm-hmm. for them, they're having to do it on their own. So, we do a lot of assessments, actually, for college students. Believe it or not, mm-hmm. who um, you know kind of just struggled through school and finally decided that college is
0: just really a huge challenge and come and want to get access some accommodations. What do you see? This is a little bit off topic, but what do you see in terms of a child's sort of mental health development or their, you know, sort of the the way they see themselves there. Uh, even sort of self-awareness when they haven't been diagnosed, but maybe they've seen a sense—I don't want to say a failure, but not being able to have the a sense of competence that um, they they see in, in in typical in their peers. Do you do you see any any toll there on kids who haven't been
3: diagnosed? Yeah, I think we've seen um, both both ends. So I think of one young girl that came in that was in high school. She actually was very self-aware. She was very articulate in being able to explain how many hours she was having to spend reading and was very aware of kind of what her struggle was. And, And she was the one who pushed for her parents to get testing and really felt like, she had a reading disability, and in fact she did. Hmm. So when we tested her, however, she in school, she you know, the school was not going to pick up on it because academically she really was getting A's and B's. She was taking some honors classes. She had a very high IQ, so her IQ happened to be in the superior range. She was just performing in the average range. Well, when you have such a high IQ, that's pretty discrepant. Sure. So we would expect her to be performing higher. So she was just having to work twice as hard and twice as long as anybody else. Mm-hmm. So with someone like that we you know we offer lots of other accommodations but also assistive technology is a big thing nowadays. There's mm-hmm. lots of technology that students can access that really help them be more successful in school. Um, but then on the other end we have students who also have been you know we've assessed middle schoolers or high schoolers that just are completely unaware. I mean, you can say, you know, how are you doing in school, and they report that they're doing fine, when in fact they're not. So Mm. I I think the awareness, the self-awareness, is definitely something, and that is something that we try and assess through even using different rating scales. Um, We happen to use the brief, which is the behavior rating scale of executive functioning, and that one in particular, I think really helps us see an individual, because they're rating themselves how aware they are. And so we have parents fill it out, we have teachers fill them out, and then we have the individual also fill it out. And that usually comes out pretty clear in terms of whether or not, like, well, the teachers and the parents are saying this, but the, the individual themselves are just not aware. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that varies. You know, okay. some and, are more aware than others. And do you think that part of that is just that that's just been their typical normal,
2: that's just how it's always been, so they maybe aren't thinking that, school should be easier? Or, you know, I'm, I'm, that would be interesting to think of, look at that, too.
1: I think, though, for young children, oftentimes behavior can become an issue. So they're struggling in school. They're sitting there not able to keep up with their peers. And so they start doing behaviors that are going to take the, you know, onus away from them. So yeah they don't have to do the work, they get out of the work, or, Mm -hmm. you know, there's all kinds of strategies I think kids use, and um, I think that that's one of the things that teachers can pick up on, um, and, you know, try and point parents in the direction of, okay, this child might be struggling, it may not be really a behavior issue, and I think that's where LD and ADHD can be very confusing for parents and teachers. I think they are a they have terrible behaviors when, in fact, they're really struggling and, yeah. you know, sitting there in class really not understanding. You know, for the early childhood setting, though, we, we really don't like to use the discrepancy model for young children because of that academic, um, you know, issue. They haven't had enough academics. But we always hear from parents um, who bring ch- young children in or who call us that, I know my child is struggling my child's not saying the alphabet mm-hmm. my child's not they don't they don't know their letter sounds and th- it might be in an early childhood setting or in mm-hmm. kindergarten and we see those kids in some of our programs too and at that point our suggestion is get some interventions mm-hmm. you know even in the early childhood setting work on phonics it's it's a Best practice for you know struggling learners is an Orton-Gillingham based approach where you're using multiple senses to learn your phonics, your letter sounds, letter names, blends, yeah. all of that. Um, start really diving deep into that instruction because that will you know help them keep up with their peers e- despite maybe having a learning disability and struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and they might be diagnosed later on or they might not, but really try and get those interventions in place. Um, And the other thing I was thinking about, as Mary Beth was overviewing the assessment which I think is wonderful is you know there's kind of the three types of learning disabilities reading math and writing mm-hmm. and reading is um, the most common and a lot of parents and um, other practitioners call it dyslexia um, but it really is about eighty percent of all learning disabilities okay. so the math and the writing you'll see a much smaller percent of kids struggling with those things reading okay. is kind of the bulk of it okay
0: we, uh, for those who might be listening it might be wondering what is the, you know, origin, or where does, where does learning disabilities come from, is it? And can you shed a little light on that?
1: I, you know, we, the definition is it's a biologically based disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, so we always like to say uh, your brain works a little differently. Mm-hmm. You have some roadblocks and um, they estimate that about 15 percent of the population has some sort of a learning disability, and I think this is where public perception of what does a learning disability mean is kind of confused or convoluted. Um, A learning disability when you talk about a specific disability is really specifically this struggle with reading, writing, mathematics, um, written expression. There's these you know a specific kind of assessment for that. but oftentimes the public uses the broad term of learning disabilities in terms of they struggle with learning mm-hmm. um, And we don't really know everything about the brain and I think that's the hard part of finding this you know definition and using this terminology mm-hmm. um, but really it's your brain is working a little differently and there's some roadblocks as you process information Mm -hmm. Um, and it can happen in several ways especially for reading Um, you know that they're they're processing information slowly um, they're taking in information they have difficulty doing that or the oral processing is different so Mm -hmm. it presents itself in many many ways Mm
3: -hmm. yeah uh, along with that I'll just add that I also just breaking down reading in and of itself I think is also can get complicated because an individual can struggle just with identifying the different letters, words, being able to say those. But a whole nother piece of reading is also your ability to comprehend what's being read to you right. or what you're reading, either one. So your ability to comprehend what somebody else is reading, but also your ability to read then what you're reading, and that's very different. There's very different skill sets within that. Mm-hmm. So that can also get confusing because an individual might have. No reading disability as it relates to just pronouncing words, but then can't necessarily understand what those words mean. Mm -hmm. So again, I think it can get confusing for the individual and families. Like they have some gaps here. Really, those are all different types of disabilities.
2: Yeah. And and so you and I know we we probably need to wrap this session up. But when you were talking, I think in our first podcast, you mentioned something about that lack of opportunity. Looking at that too. So thinking of some of the children that we see in our work, a lot of the kids in the sites that we're serving through our coaching or our consultation maybe haven't had that intensive intervention of just being immersed in language and books, mm-hmm. and, and just, so, so then they're coming in kind of at this deficit, so then if on top of that there is a learning disability, mm-hmm. and you think of just this yeah. tough, tough hill to climb, by the time they get to school, wow. And then third grade, that's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff to miss. And so that really is a great reminder, I think, for all of our listeners to think of how important that literacy piece is in your settings. Not that you're going to be drilling you know, flashcards and all that type of thing, but meeting kids where they are in a play-based way that creates that interest in language and, and just listening to books and, and sitting and listening. And the kids that we see that have the challenging behaviors, it's hard for them, those things. And so they'll choose that periphery. They'll choose the behaviors to get out of those things. Mm-hmm. And, and often, I think, we've talked about this in many of our podcasts on behavior, is just that's the child that will be removed. yeah And they're the ones that mm-hmm. really yeah. need to stay and to figure out how to meet their needs. And we'll talk about that in, I think, part four of our mm-hmm. series that we're going to be doing yes. with you lovely ladies. So, yes. great. This has been so interesting. So, yes,
0: thank you. And so I believe next we're going to talk about ADHD uh, a little bit. Uh, so we'll take that, we'll go that direction from learning disabilities. So thank you both for being here. Great. Thank, thank you. you. That's all for now.